itself has no actual value. It can be a coin or a piece of paper. It still has no actual value. Its value is symbolic. It conveys the importance that people place on it. Money derives its value by the virtue of its functions, as a medium of exchange, a unit of measurement, and the storehouse for wealth. What is money? What's up guys, it's TJ back with the Unraveling Show and doing another one of these solo episodes. So today we're talking money. Uh, we've talked money before, but we're talking about today, um, more specifically the origin of money and definitely going to get into Bitcoin. This is something which is taking over news headlines, social media. Everyone's talking and thinking about Bitcoin. And I will tell you now, cryptocurrency is extremely interesting. So I really hope you enjoy this one. So what is money? We already talked about it a little bit, but what is money? You know, that piece of paper that you have in your pocket, what value do you, what does it actually have? Now, I've written an old bank note that says, uh, the Bank of England owes the bearer of this note the X amount of money. But what is that money? Money is only valuable because if you give it to me, I know I'll be able to spend it somewhere else. Originally, um, talking about how money started, Originally, people used to exchange um, items. For example, let's say I practiced my entire life in baking, bakeries. I got really good at making bread. Whereas the other brother across the road, he used to um, produce meat and eggs. So I might go, oh, my guy, I've got, uh, I've got two loaves of bread for you. If I give you these two loaves of bread, will you give me you know, one of those chickens and a couple of eggs? And you go, hmm, seems like an alright deal. Go on then. So people started using money as a value for uh, exchange for value, helping each other out. People have different skills and different things, and everyone helps each other out a little bit with this money. And then um, around seven, uh, 770, um, 770 BC, there's a story about how the Chinese use money. Now, there's many different stories of how money originated, but this is just one of them. So it was thought that the Chinese used to exchange tools and weapons and actually moved instead of using these tools and weapons into building miniature replicas of these to their tiny little hammers and swords that were made out of bronze and they started exchanging these instead as the item Um, so therefore they didn't have to carry around swords and hammers and axes everywhere they went you know instead they could handheld coins in their hand there then became a point in time where gold became a store of wealth Gold was something that it was shiny, it was nice, it had it had physical applications and it still does to this day, but primarily it's just a store of wealth. Now a pie chart shows that forty three percent to fifty percent of gold is actually in jewelry. It's a finite it's a finite source. Twenty nine percent of it is in coins and bars. Only fourteen percent of gold that is in the world is actually used for practical functions you know electronics and even in dentistry and, and industrial uses 14% so most the majority of gold is just sitting looking pretty and it's using an exchange of wealth but, you know all this gold jewelry do you ever think about the fact that what happens if everyone decides one day I don't want that gold there's there's no value of it I don't want it the only reason gold is valuable is because you're betting on the fact that somebody else will buy it off you and, and somebody will always find it valuable right Okay, so gold originally started when um, 
when money originally started, sorry, when people started exchanging gold, you know, I'll give you this gold, you give me this food and this stuff, this stuff, blah, blah, blah. People were crazy about gold. Gold became this thing, this, 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 this store of wealth that people were using. And um, people started eventually accumulating so much gold that they had no space to store it. So they began to be these private businesses that used to hold gold for everyone. And um, each person had a designated amount of gold that was stored in here. And people would go up uh, to the guy in the business and say, Oh, so I own three gold. My name's this. Can you give me my gold? Cool. People started doing that. Um, and to prove that you own the gold, you were given a piece of paper that written, you know, I owe, I own three gold or whatever. But what happened was that eventually everyone had these pieces of paper that said, I owe gold, I owe gold. Instead of going all the way to the gold shop, people just started exchanging these pieces of paper that had it written on about, I, I owe six gold, I owe three gold. Okay, let's swap it. And, um, I'll give you the eggs or whatever. Then eventually what started happening was that, uh, these, I guess, early day banks started actually giving out these receipts saying, I owe gold, I owe gold, even when they didn't have that much gold in the bank. So let's say they had 10 gold in the bank, but then they were giving out two, 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 two dollars to loads of people. So let's say it's one to 10 people. So there's $20 worth of these receipts going around, but they only had 10 gold. So this is a situation, you know, if everyone rushes to that bank at once and says, okay, can I get my gold out now? He doesn't have enough. But what's actually crazy about that is that's the same way that money in the bank works now. So if you go to the bank, if everyone from your bank went together at the same time and says, okay, can I have all my money out? They won't have that money sitting in there. They don't, actually don't have that money. That money is probably being used by the bank for other, where, for investing, for, you know, mortgages, loaning to other people. My money is probably being loaned out to XXX. You're protected to a certain amount now, thanks to financial regulations, but it's only to a certain amount. You know, if you were storing billions in there, I promise you they wouldn't have it. So, yeah. This is, this is a weird, weird thing now. We're, we're, now we're trading notes. I don't actually have any value themselves. Currencies used to be backed by gold, but now they don't. They're not backed by anything. They're, they're what are called fiat currencies. They're not actually backed by anything and the government controls it. This creates a problem, um, where if the, the economy is struggling in a certain country and they need more money, what they'll do is they'll just print more money at the bank. And this is what, what people are known as inflation. So every year the bank prints money, prints money, prints money, prints money, whenever it needs it. But that means that because there's so much more money circulating around, everyone's willing to pay more, you know, supply demand. There's so much supply of cash and the demand stays constant. So then it means that each bit of money that's out there is worth less because there's more and more of it. So let's say if everyone has, uh, uh, £1,000 extra, that means they're willing to bid more for food, let's say, in a supermarket. They're willing to bid more because they have more, which means that the price of the food has to go up. So there's these problems um, with banks and inflation, which is about 3% a year. So about 3% there's um, how much less purchasing power you have because the, the current your money is worth less and less. Banks are also quite expensive. Being in the UK, probably probably quite happy with our banks, don't think much of it, but especially in other countries, they come with fees. Not everyone actually has access to banks. This is why people, people even now store, store gold, because 
not everyone has an access to banks. In developed countries, as I mentioned earlier, because some of these countries don't actually, well, a lot of banks don't have all the money they have in the bank, and they and the banks loan the money out as well. In developed countries, some people don't trust the banks, so they don't keep the money in banks, they keep it in cash for themselves. All these problems with money, as it is, made people think, okay, I want to create my own currency. Now, PayPal started this, you know, I mentioned in the previous episode, Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, and the rest of them, they tried to create a virtual currency with PayPal, and they actually failed. It didn't work out. But this is in about 2002. 2009, a man known as Satoshi Nakamoto developed Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's aim was to solve the problems with money. It's to solve all the problems with the bank, which is a centralized holding all the money and to create a decentralized exchange, which means that banks don't control it, but people control it. And I'm going to go into the reasons how Bitcoin aims to fix all these things. But, you know, this is just an introduction. Satoshi Nakamoto is a pseudonym. So this is a fake name. No one actually knows the man that created Bitcoin. And this theory is to suggest that maybe it isn't one man because it's incredibly complex. Some people have theories that a group of people created Bitcoin under this fake name of Satoshi Nakamoto. No one knows where he is. I'm sure he's incredibly wealthy wherever he is right now because of the increase in Bitcoin. But, you know, now I'm going to go ahead and actually explain a little bit more about Bitcoin. So, you know, Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency to be created. It's the first type of currency to work in this fashion. But now there is so many different cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is just the first, and at the moment is the the most valued cryptocurrency. And they aim to fix this problem with money, you know, by creating a virtual currency that works in a completely different way. So I'm going to overly simplify how Bitcoin works. Um, because it's incredibly complex and even I still don't understand it. It is so complex. But I'm going to give you an analogy of understanding it and I'm going to put some links in the, in the description so you can understand this as well. So let's imagine we're sitting on a park bench. You know, it's a great day. Sun's shining. Everyone's having a good time. I have one apple and I give it to you. So now you have one apple and I have zero. That's fairly simple, right? I physically put this apple into your hand. You know it happened, I was there, you were there, you touched it. You didn't need a third person there to help you make the transfer. We don't need anyone else to confirm that this transaction happened because everyone knows it. And I can't give you another apple because I don't have any left. I can't control it anymore. The apple has completely left my possession and you have full control of the apple now. You can give it to someone else if you want, whatever you want, but this inexperienced person exchange has happened. And that's practically how physical money works. But now let's flip the script. Let's say I have a d- digital apple, you know, a digital a virtual apple. Now this is where it gets interesting. How did you know? So, so I give you this digital apple. How do you know that that digital apple used to be mine? How do we know that it's now yours? You know, how do we know, how do we know that I won't send the apple to you, the virtual apple, and then send that virtual apple to someone else as well. This is called double spending. It's a big problem. No one knows unless this is confirmed. So now this, this, this situation means that something has to be done. And it means that all transactions have to be written down in a book, basically an online book, 
which is known as a ledger. So this is like an accounting book. You, tr you track all the transactions that happen in this in this book. But now, who looks after this book with all the transactions in? This is another problem. What if the guy that owns or the group of people that are looking after this book decide they want to create a few more apples, a few more digital apples, or they decide that this wasn't true, that I, that I gave you the apple online? The solution is to give access to this public ledger to everyone. Instead of one person having it, anybody that owns Bitcoin has this public ledger on their computer, and anybody can view it. Now, this is obviously simplified of, of how it works, but Bitcoin works by having a public ledger which all transactions are posted everywhere. It is anonymous, in which that the addresses that you send Bitcoin to is just a bunch of numbers and letters. But those numbers and letters can be seen by everyone. And now, going a little bit more into it, you know, the verification of the transactions. So I send a digital apple to you. So everyone has this transaction on their screen, but now they need to verify that he hasn't, I haven't spent this apple elsewhere and I actually own this apple myself. Now I want to simplify it again here, but basically what happens is that somebody across the world on their computer has to accurately um, verify this transaction by processing about one um, megabyte of transactions and saying, okay, is that right? Is this transaction been duplicated anywhere? Is that okay? And the first person which verifies one megabyte of information, one megabyte is a block. So you might have heard the term blockchain. One block of information is one megabyte. So whoever calculates that first, that verifies it first, they get paid in Bitcoin. And this is what mining is. So by virtue of verifying somebody else's transaction, or more likely a lot of transactions, I'll get paid in what's called Bitcoin. And this is mining. As well as doing this verification process, to prove that you did it correctly, you have to do something called proof of work, which I'm not going to go into because it's very complicated, but you basically have to come up with a 64-digit number, which is the same as the number of the verification. So you have to do basically a complex maths problem to prove that you did the work. So two things to get paid in Bitcoin, you have to verify a one megabyte of transactions, and you have to do a proof of work calculation, which is a math calculation to prove that you did it. Now, initially when Bitcoin started, this was fairly easy. A normal regular computer would be able to mine Bitcoin. But as more and more transactions start happening, these transactions became more and more difficult and the math equation to get the Bitcoin became increasingly difficult. So you get every time you do a transaction, you used to get paid 50 Bitcoins. Every four years, the amount that you get paid for doing these mass equation halves and the difficulty of the equation increases. This meant that people that wanted to mine Bitcoin a few years after it was created needed to have supercomputers which were able to do this at lightning speed. Because as well as doing this calculation, you have to be the first one to get to the right answer and to verify it. Because if someone else does it before me, then they'll already be paid while I'm midway through the problem. It's now estimated that the difficulty of mining a Bitcoin is now one in 16 trillion. So as more and more transactions has been happening, it's become increasingly difficult. And it's also worth noting that because 
the amount you get paid for the transaction is halving every four years. It comes to a point where there'll never ever be more than 21 bi- bitcoins in, 21 million bitcoins in circulation because that transaction fee is going to keep halving until it's negligible. So, um, by, by, it's estimated by 2140 that no more bitcoins will be produced. So now you might be a little bit confused still. So, okay, you get how it solves the problem of money because you can't make more of it. It's a finite support. You can't be, you can't inflate, you can't print any more Bitcoin after a certain date. There's a finite amount of it. So that's, that's great because it means inflation will happen. And, um, it's decentralized. So no government can control it and do what they want with it. And everyone has a copy of this public ledger, the accounting book. So the people are in control of this money, of this currency. And you understand now how you mine it. You, the, the, the value in quotation marks is from verifying the previous transactions. That's the only value of it. But in value of a real sense, it's just like real money that I talked about at the start. It's only valuable. A Bitcoin is only valuable if other people accept it to be valuable. So just like the £10, it, it reminds me of when the £5 notes were updated, they changed them. Then all of a sudden, they said the old £5 notes are worthless. They, people just decided that. No one, was, no one was accepting them anymore. No one was giving them away anymore because they were practically now worthless. Same way with Bitcoin. It has no real, real, real intrinsic value, but neither does money. It's just a medium of exchange. But because it has all these protection and it's anonymous and it can't be inflated, it becomes a good store of value. Why would you not buy Bitcoin? Because you know that the bank can't keep inflating it. If you keep money in the bank, it's going to keep um, becoming less and less valuable because they keep printing money. But that can't happen with Bitcoin. So people actually describe Bitcoin as a bit of a digital gold. People buy gold to store their value and protect against inflation. But now people are looking towards Bitcoin. How can this help me protect against inflation? If I keep my money in Bitcoin, then I don't have to keep it in cash. And it's anonymous and I can send it online quickly. All these things are benefits of Bitcoin. And as I said, this is just a start. This is just that very tip of the iceberg. And I've oversimplified this. Bitcoin is one coin. Another coin you might have heard of is Ethereum. This works on a completely different premise. It works by um, each coin having information on it, like such as uh, digital text. It can be written text on it. People can now send um, anything. Oh, and each, each coin is unique and it has a specific code. So this is great because there's now scope, for example, for people to have digital passports because there's only one of them. And because if I ever give it to someone else, it will be on this public transaction list, this public ledger, this book, everyone will be able to see it. It means that I can't duplicate that passport. It means um, everyone will know exactly who it is, whose it is, who owns it. And it's all online. And everyone, it's, it's self-verifying by other people that want to mine more of the coin. So it's like a this blockchain where people, it becomes a chain of people, transactions, 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 can be used to spread so many different things. There's so many different ways. I highly recommend anyone interested in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies does more research, but this is just an introduction into, into Bitcoin. There's negatives with Bitcoin as well, which I haven't talked about much, but being online, there's, there's cases of people being hacked. People that own big amounts of Bitcoin have been hacked. 
As it stands, you can't pay taxes with Bitcoin, which means that you'll always have to convert it back to fiat currency. So fiat currency being, you know, standard uh, Great British Pound, US dollars. Um, there's no government backing as well. So if it does get hacked, there's no government that's going to refund you that money or anything like that. You don't have that same protection as you would if it was backed by a government. But it's very interesting. It, this is um, a perfect example of being a contrarian, having the vision. Is this going to be the new thing? I mean, even look at the way that you do online transactions now. Most people don't even use uh, cash, really. They use bank card, contactless, or they use Apple Pay on their phone. And all you're seeing is that number, 50 pounds, go down to 30. And it sends it to someone else, all online, you know? It's just a number on the screen, almost. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. This concept of money is one that many people don't really understand, but a lot of people probably should. Um, I don't want to talk too much because I could go on forever, but this is a good introduction into Bitcoin and why people are hyping it up. Um, whether it's going to be the next currency or not, um, the Financial Conduct Authority at the moment thinks it cannot be a currency due to its volatility, due to the fact it has no intrinsic value, etc, etc. It's a big debate, but hopefully you have a basic understanding of what it is. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. If you have any questions, I'll try and answer them, but honestly, Google is your best friend. And if you actually manage to uh, understand this complex, complex story of Bitcoin and you have a better explanation, I'll be happy to hear it as well, because I've tried to do my best, but as I said, even I don't understand the whole process fully. But it's very interesting, and you know, who knows, maybe Bitcoin will be the future. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you guys for listening to The Unraveling Show. If you'd like to donate, there'll be a link in the bio to do so, or you'll also find my link tree, where you can follow my socials, and follow my YouTube channel, where there'll be exclusive content not available through the podcast. Peace out, and I hope to see you again soon.